Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach here once again, and I am, as always, joined by a couple of very good friends and colleagues in Stephen Riley, coming in from Melbourne. G'day, Riles. G'day, Paul. G'day, Simon. Hey, all. And Simon Johnson sitting next to me at Fornigan's headquarters here in uh, beautiful Sydney town. How are you going, Jono? Roachie, you're going really well. G'day, Roachie. G'day, Riles. Ahead in the show, we'll look at artificial intelligence in sport, AI in sport. It's here already. So what's it used for and what does the future hold? In the shootout, we'll look at rugby going both PE and PC. The Saudis mooted IPL competitor and a new payment system hitting our stadiums, amusingly called The Runner. We'll come to that towards the end of the show. Of course, we'll wrap up the show with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we enjoy dragging back into the spotlight the uh, errant ways of sporting types who've done things they would rather have not have done and not be reminded about. You can get involved in the segment by using the hashtag red card, yellow card when you're prying through social media and you see something that might be worthy of inclusion in that segment. So once again, hashtag RCYC, as in red card, yellow card. And apologies to the Royal Court Yacht Club, who also try and use that hashtag. Uh, speaking of the socials, you can find us on Twitter at for and against underscore and on Insta for dot and dot against. However, for now, let's get into the show. German magazine Die Aktuelle, I think, got itself into all sorts of strife recently, publishing a story that supposedly contained quotes from Michael Schumacher, who has otherwise not been heard from since suffering a debilitating brain injury in a ski accident about a decade ago. Now, as you'd imagine, with his privacy being fiercely guarded, any news, however tiny and however scrappy, is big news. And so it was that this magazine used AI to generate quotes that sounded like they were from Michael Schumacher, and it caused quite a stir. Now, in fairness to the publication in question, their cover did add the tagline, it sounds deceptively real. So it kind of hinted at the fabrication, right? And the article itself did spell out that all the quotes were, in fact, AI-generated. But that didn't stop a couple of people at the magazine getting fired over the messy situation it had created. What it also did was get us thinking about the presence of AI in sport. So what it's contributed so far, the good and the bad and the ugly, and what we might expect the future to hold. Who's going to start us off? Steve, what's been your experience so far? What have you seen when it comes to AI getting its tentacles into into the sporting landscape? So I think the first thing to note is that you know, AI has been around for a while. What's mm. going on right now is that AI is coming up to another level. You think about the way stats have dominated sport historically especially in american sports stats have been everywhere in the last few years it's just gone exponential in terms of use of 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 ai for strategies for where players in basketball are going to shoot you know the, the whole game has changed from being played close to the basket to being played around the three-point line because the stats don't lie and they run simulation after simulation and they play the strategies out that way what we're also seeing, though, is AI going into the whole ecosystem of sports management from the way it's covered. You know, I, I can see a day very, very soon where we have uh, sports journalism that's just automatically generated by the AI. You know, it, it, honestly, it's the table is set for a whole array of AI courses. Bruce McAvaney is, uh, is an AI 
uh, commentator. <laughs> that would be a scary thought, wouldn't it? Riles, it's interesting there. You make the very good point that it ha- it, it's not new, but it has stepped up. And obviously, I think the um, what I'll call the, the retail market, for want of a better expression, uh, has probably been hit over the head. We've been hit over the head with the arrival of ChatGPT, where suddenly this program can pretty much produce some pretty good content that uh, that to you, to your instruction that you, you know is, is very close to being hard to tell from something that might be, might have been written for for a human being. So there's, I think that's we've, we've only seen that in the last handful of months as as we speak. Yeah, and I mean to your point, Riles, or one of those points, the machine learning aspects of things and using it to interpret the data. You you alluded to it having happened for a number of years. I guess that was Moneyball, but is this you know Moneyball 2.0? It's really taking it to to the next level. Good points you you raise about the change to to the NBA. The other thing that I guess we might see is in relation to the spectacle of sports and going to, to sporting grounds and whether or not virtual reality or augmented reality can uh, can be involved in the stadium experience. You know, that's something that I think will happen in future as far as wearables and those sorts of things. Yeah, look, I think I think it's probably worth talking a little bit about why it's, it's taken off, why the step change has um, really happened. If you think about it, so ChatGPT followed a, a a previous AI technology called GPT-3. GPT-3 took about five, was it five years, two years, I think, to get one million users, and ChatGPT took five days. Mm. It took five days because all of a sudden it had two things that, that AI didn't really have before. One, it had an easy interface. So it was effectively almost like a Google page with a, just a, a, a single bar. So it was really easy to navigate before you needed a bit of coding to, to sort of set it all up for you. The second thing it did is they set it up in this in an ecosystem so that you could basically put apps on top of it and you could connect it into other things. So what they did was they, they built um, a way of, of, of doing these large language models. There's the ability to take, um, to interpret data that gets fed in and then they made it easy to access and plug into uh, devices or uh, applications that will use it. And that's why it just went nuts and people can see and people are now driven to come up with ways to use it. My head's exploding with with, with just what the potential might be there. I mean, I, I was having a bit of a poke around seeing, some, having a look at some of the practical applications that um, it's been used for. And Riles, you've already hinted at this, but there's a company, for example, called uh, Sports Picker AI, and and the following is not an endorsement necessarily for Sports Picker AI, by the way, but they've been doing exactly what you described, Ross, for a number for, for a number of years, where they've been churning data and trying to you know build models, and you know they're effectively giving tips. I assume there's some sort of subscription kind of thing, and they're for sports betting. Yeah, basically right. correct. Yeah, so apparently apparently during during COVID, the, you know there was some sort of step change in the tech. The team started analysing all the predictions made over the last year. Then the data science team built a model comparing the swarm's prediction to the published odds and eventual outcomes. They found several patterns in the data that gave us actionable ways to make the picks better in the future. In short, they were able to add a layer of intelligence to the sports picker AI predictions. So now whether that's marketing spiel, I'm sure there's an element of that, and but there's probably also an element of truth in that. So, you know, there's a lot of companies that are on the, you know, in the sporting ecosystem, as you call it, Steve-O, for whom this is a big thing. So it's not just being able to produce a letter. It's all sorts of different different applications. Yeah, look, I, I think um, one of the things, just, just, let's just pick on producing a letter for a second. One of the really interesting things that I'd, I'd, I'd suggest to our listeners is worth a, a try in whatever business you're in 
is if you, uh, you know, ask ChatGPT to write a speech in the style of someone that anyone that's it's on the public record up to 2021, because that's all the, the data that's been fed uh-huh. into ChatGPT at this point. <laughs> and it'll do that. And then ask it to write a press release. And in, you know, in, in, in seconds, you'll have a, a press release, which looks fantastic. Um, and then just think about that in whatever job you do, that not that you, you, you it's going to take your job, but you can use it to do a first draft of a press release. You don't have to sit there and, and go, oh, what am I going to write? How am I going to say it? What's, what should my first be? They're just running through the algorithm and your first draft is there. And, you know, we all know it's easier to work off a draft than off a blank page. It's a really interesting way to think about it. So the PR department of the sporting organisation has just been kaput or been taken over by machines, no doubt the customer service department as well because they could, uh, ChatGPT could write the reviews, you would think, if there are any any issues or have a virtual customer service agent, chatbots. I think that's a doomsday scenario though, John. I I think Riles has just said then that well alluded to the fact that the jobs aren't really under threat. Maybe a small number might be, but you will still need that human element as, as oversight for the time being until they take on sentience, if that's the word. But you, it, as Riley said, you know, it can do a draft, mm-hmm. but you still need – and, it, you know, John, I mean, you told us about an example of, of, of asking it to do a 400-word yeah, essay yeah. or something. You would- In my line of work, yeah, we asked it to do a like a 400-word article or a 500-word article in the style of our organisation mm. about a certain legal topic, mm. and it spat out something pretty damn good. But you needed a human being to go, that's actually pretty good, and then go and sure. check cross I's and dot T's. So I think yeah. there's still uh, plenty of room for human oversight for at least the foreseeable future look look absolutely and look there there are interesting downsides so uh, i mentioned before that the use of analytics and and ai just will just supercharge that but analytics to change the game of basketball it's also changing the game of baseball i think in the case of basketball it's made it much more interesting and free-flowing and you know lots of shots from distance which is quite exciting in baseball it's arguably made it quite boring because it's it's taken away the, the intuition and the guts of the, the general manager to make that change to the batting audit or change the pitcher. And and I think it'll be a phase. I suspect over time the the, the, the commentary likes to say, well, the computer says he should do this right now, mm. but Roach is going the other way and he's blah, blah, blah. So I, I hope that that human element actually, you know, piggybacks off it and makes it interesting, but you could argue it's, it's making baseball a bit more boring at the moment. And presumably no coincidence that this is the season where baseball's introduced the uh, the shot clock or the pitch clock. You've got to have, is it 30 seconds or what have you? There's none of this dilly-dallying and I'll pitch when I'm good and ready or the batter you, face up when they're good and ready. And a few changes to where the uh, baseman can stand, I think, just to, to make it a little bit more open. Mm-hmm. I mean, back to another interesting AI example, and this is in the area of health. Now, of course, this has wide application outside sports, but... Whenever you're talking about um, muscle injuries, you can imagine that the sporting industry sits up and takes notice. So there's a group called Springbok Analytics, and I don't know where they're from, but I can guess. They have uh, apparently an AI-powered platform that helps turn two-dimensional MRIs into three-dimensional models of muscles. So again, not just a sporting application, but anything that makes diagnosis and repair of muscle injuries faster and more efficient and more effective as well has some pretty significant ramifications support for, for sport. So much so that um, the Chicago Blackhawks are actually an investor in this company, and that company also has partnerships with both the NBA and the NFL. And one, and I'm no doctor, obviously, but one interesting thing was that this allows you to go and say, okay, so the hamstring has actually three or four different muscles, 
And if one's damaged, the others can compensate and other parts of the body can compensate. And, and it, the athlete can pass mobility tests, for example, but you don't know that it's actually a comp, there's some sort of compensatory thing going on. So this model allows you to go in and go, ah, that, 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 that one there, that's, there's a problem with that. So surely it's that level of detail, that little extra layer of detail that they can go into that the sporting organisations and sporting clubs will be right onto, right? So they can get someone back in six weeks instead of eight weeks or they can prevent an injury that would have had someone out for four and they just go tweak, tweak and they fix it and they're, you know, they're out for one or something while well, they do what they need to do. Uh, yeah, I think that it's, you know, if you, if you actually play this game out, they, they hope that AI will prevent these things before they happen. Mm. You know, predict them in advance. Um, I remember seeing a, a demo by uh, GE uh, half a dozen years ago where they basically would change the street lights. They hoped, you know, the day before the light, the, the bulbs blew, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, and the idea was just taking it being as efficient as possible with everything. You can see that applying to what you've just said, you know, the sporting team, people, facilities, the, the whole thing. Mm, mm. Well, it'll be interesting because I mean, there's lots of areas that it can have uh, an impact on, on obviously life in general, but all sorts of different avenues of sport. So um, hopefully we all keep our jobs uh, and it'll be interesting to see how AI uh, impacts on sport in the future. On to the shootout now where we cover a few more topics in slightly shorter fashion uh, and let's turn to rugby first. It seems that Rugby Australia has gone down and maybe had to go down the same path as the New Zealand, as New Zealand rugby, as the NZR. After being on the brink of bankruptcy at the onset of the COVID pandemic, Rugby Australia is apparently going to post a profit at its AGM for 2023, although apparently still paying off uh, off debts. Apparently they borrowed 40 mil just to stay afloat. Uh, around the pandemic time. It's tough times there for a while, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was. Um, now, Rugby Australia is said to look, be looking to sell up to 19.5% of the commercial element of their organisation to a private equity firm. And apparently Silver Lake uh, is front with the front runner there. They're the same mob that NZR got into bed with at some stage in 2023, which could bring in anywhere from 150 to 250 mil, which is a good chunk of money, I would have thought. Uh, so as I say, that's slated for... Uh, sometime later in 2023. It seems to be the way of the world, Jono. It is um, the model, the, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before, obviously, on the show. Um, I mean, I think it's showing great leadership um, by Rugby Australia. It's great to see us talking about rugby in a positive way. <laughs> That's after, true. After the past <laughs> few years. Um, I think Hamish McLennan is doing a pretty good job in revving up the Rugby League as well, um, talking about poaching players. But, mm. yeah, the private equity thing I think will be really interesting. If, they, if those numbers prove to be correct, and the rumours are there'll be an announcement over the the next couple of months, that'll be a serious injection of cash into the game, given where it was a few years ago. It's interesting when the when the All Blacks story came up six, twelve months ago. Um, and the, the hue and cry was, how can you possibly sell a chunk of our national team? And I must say, I for one related to that that sort of thing. It's it's the All Blacks. It's sacred. You can't do that. But yeah, you, you, well, again, this is my question: Do they do they have to? Do they need to? It's you know how, how much. How much value to put on the sacredness of your sporting team, Steve? Well, I mean, the, the real question is, what are they going to use the money for? Well, right. I, I think I appreciate that Rugby Australia needs uh, an injection of, of cash. But what are you going to use it for? Are you going to go and pick a couple of wingers from the Brisbane Broncos? <laughs> uh, are you going to pay it... top top dollar for, for someone to co- convert? Or are you going to invest it in the grassroots? I suspect they're going to choose the wrong option. 
150 mil buys you a lot of wingers. I would have thought there'd be a bit left over for um, developing the game a little bit better than perhaps they have. Maybe even a Nathan Cleary, if the rumours are correct. No, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, they've got a lot of work to do, rugby, on that, that grassroots thing. They're, they're not getting the participation at junior levels that they uh, once did. They have um, some big events coming up in Australia to hopefully, hopefully for, from their point of view, to capitalise on, um, including the Lions Tour in 2027 and other things. So, so that's a good point, right, that you know, private equity do these things to get a return. So it's all about what's the time frame that the private equity mob is prepared to take in order to get a return. Now, they can go short term and say, we're going to get Cleary, we're going to buy a couple of wingers, we're going to invest in some fanfare and hopefully bring people through the turnstiles. Or they can take a slightly longer term view, invest in the grassroots and trust that it's going to pay off. That's a much riskier mm. bet from a mm. uh, private equity point of view. I think this is this is a deal with the devil for, for Rugby Australia. And private equity does tend to have shorter time frames than your average um, you know, investor that might be thinking long term. Interesting. One to keep an eye on. Uh, also, the Wallabies will wear white when they play Portugal this year's Rugby World Cup, John. Did you see that? I didn't I see that. Hope rugby doesn't goes mean PC, as you said. I hope it doesn't mean they're surrendering. <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, look, it's um, part of the uh, IRB policy to accommodate fans with colour blindness. Oh. I must say it's the uh, the first I've heard of that, but that will be interesting to watch the Wallabies wearing white. It will be very interesting. And you know, it's, it's something to do with the red and the green, isn't it? The, uh, apparently it's... I think we do have a few colourblind listeners, actually, so we'll have to uh, get one of them on for oh. a... Uh, yeah, one one who used to be a neighbour of mine, but yeah, we'll have to uh, have, have a chat about it. Oh, that, yeah. expl- that explains a lot. It does, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. That's a... Uh, complete joke. And I, I didn't realise until I was poking around uh, that it's, it affects quite a number of men, like one in 12 men or something and about one in 200 women or something like that. It's a, it's a bloke thing. I see. Secret men's business. Uh, well, I don't care what the Wallabies, Wallabies are wearing as long as uh, they win at the Rugby World Cup. Now, on to cricket. Uh, look, if the Saudis have done to golf what 2020 did to cricket, what the hell do the Saudis think they're going to do with 2020 cricket? Reports suggest that the backers of Live Golf have the IPL in their sights next. Um, But it sounds like something of a friendly takeover in the sense that the owners of the IPL teams seem up for it. Uh, Not so much the BCCI, uh, apparently, who currently ban domestic Indian players from from playing overseas 2020 leagues. Are you aware of that? I did. Yeah, Yeah. I did see that recently. Makes sense. Now you think of the the, um, BBL. Don't see any Indian players, logically. So the Saudis are looking for the for ICC to sanction this to avoid the whole live golf scenario. So it's interesting. Like if you play this out to, to its fullest extent with all these T20 leagues coming up, this one I think will be in addition to the IPL, not in place of it. The major league cricket we talked about in the last show or two. Pakistan, West Indies. Oh, it's all over the place. Obviously, the Aussie one, the England one. I mean, it's heading to a situation potentially where players like football are released by their club to play for their country. Does anyone fear that as being a realistic uh, end game to this? Riles, you're full of thoughts about these sort of things? Yeah, look, uh, no, I think it'll go together quite well. I, I think that uh, playing for the country will still be the top honour, but only in Test cricket. And a whole lot of these players will have no interest in Test cricket. One day cricket, everyone except for you, Paul, has agreed that it's dead. Mm-hmm. And, it's not. Uh, um, and international T20 doesn't, doesn't matter. So... I think it'll go together. The, the thing that I, I think is most interesting is that when Live Cricket starts, you know, sponsored by Saudi Arabia, 
and they start to have it. They have a party hole, um, you know, party ground. Uh, anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about should go back two weeks and listen to our last show. That's the way to, to make cricket take off in Saudi Arabia. Well, let's just flesh that out, Riles. How do you do a stadium, the equivalent of a stadium hole in cricket? Because you're allowed to make a fair bit of noise at any time at a cricket stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just saying in Saudi Arabia, the likelihood of people uh, throwing beers all over the field when uh, when there's a hat-trick or a wicket, just a wicket taken, it's pretty slim. Pretty low. I see your point. Jono, does this have a future, Live Cricket, as the, as a Live Golf fan? I, I doubt it very much. I am worried about the saturation of the product here, uh-huh, Reggie. There's, uh-huh. I mean, I would say too much sport is never enough in most scenarios. But, yeah, here I think we're pushing the envelope, aren't we? Hmm. But it's as much the disruption of the the exponential money involved, right? Like we've talked about the IPL, the numbers involved in the IPL, and indeed the women's IPL more recently. We spoke about that a few number of shows ago. That 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 Indian market is berserk, right? The the numbers involved are incredible, but the Saudis, as I understand it, and it's very early days, are again talking going next level, like they are with the golf. Again, I think last show, Jono, you were saying the winner of the Adelaide event, the Live event, got six mil or something, yep. where they yep. normally get stuff all or tenth of that maybe. Yeah, yeah. So you know, is it's great that there's money sloshing around a sport, but is, does it distort it too far away? Does it evolve the sport too quickly away from the, its core fan base? Well, I mean, the president of the uh, Saudi Tourism Commission, oh, yeah. uh, according to Mr. Al Hassan Al Dabagar, do tell. He actually said it was just all about growing the game in oh. in Saudi Arabia. There are more events coming in the pipeline. Cricket is also becoming popular in Saudi. Uh, so this partnership will create newer opportunities for cricket in Saudi and strengthen the sport in the region. Oh, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, mate. Oh, silly me. Mind you, the ICC is headquartered in Dubai. It's oh, it's headquartered yeah. in one of those emirates. Yep. Should, should know that, shouldn't I? Mm. But I don't. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully the, um, the Saudis don't ruin it for everyone. Uh, yet another 2020 league coming up. Uh, and finally on the shootout, a lovely little bit of new in-stadium technology for you, at least new to Australia, that is Just Walk Out, quote-unquote, Just Walk Out technology, as it's known elsewhere, is already in 200 locations around the world, predominantly the US, so I think a little bit in Europe. It's Amazon's new payment system, where once you've grabbed your cold pie and or your overpriced beer, you don't even need to go to a cash register. You just walk out. Get it? Apparently the tech picks up what it needs to pick up off your person or maybe something in your phone or your credit card or what have you or maybe effectively you, scans on your way out. That's right. I suppose you've pre-registered for some Amazon whiz bang thing. You know, so you just walk out, that's right. So it kind of feels like you're not paying. And what's it called in Australia when you leave without paying? Well you're doing a, doing a doing runner, a runner. Doing a runner. So in their wisdom, when they roll it out at Dockland Stadium, aka Marvel Stadium, at some stage in twenty twenty three it won't be known as just walk out like it is in other parts of the world. It'll be known as the runner. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> what do they think we are, a bunch of convicts or something? <laughs> Only in Australia. Steve-O, has this uh, technology got a future? Yeah, yeah it, it's been uh, been running for uh, oh, years now in the States. Amazon yeah. Go is the is the, the, the trial they've been you know steadily growing ar- around the, the country. I, I need to do a bit more research about how you pay because – Clearly, before you walk in, you've got the app or you've got your card. You've got your, your, your payment means is sorted before you go in. But I suspect, I just suspect we're going to have a whole lot of people at Marvel Stadium who go, well, but I thought it did it automatically. And they're, they're, they're going to plead ignorance. Um, yeah, yeah. Just a tip, mate. If you need to do some more research on something we're talking about in the show, you probably should have done it half an hour ago. 
But anyway, it's, it's a good point. Homework yeah, yeah. for homework for next show. You can tell us how it works. But yes, it does have. It's got a bit of red card, yellow card about it, doesn't it? Really potential there, Jono, don't it you does. think? Yeah, yeah, I pay that. A few people doing a runner um, somewhat inadvertently. <laughs> well, speaking of red card, yellow card. Yes, so red card, yellow card, our favourite part of the show, where we drag back into the spotlight the uh, the misdemeanours of sporting people, sporting types around the world who've done things they rather wish they hadn't, or at least wish that we didn't know about. Um, and it's our job to make sure that as wide an audience as possible knows about these these misdemeanours. Uh, Stephen, Stephen Riley, what have you got nominated for red card, yellow card for this show, please? So... So to be honest, I'm in a bit of a pickle. I'm trying we, to figure out. I've got a. I've definitely got a, a situation that I want to use to to nominate someone, but I can't figure out if it's Cristiano Ronaldo, uh-huh. or if it's uh, his club Al Nasir. I think that's how you pronounce it, or or if it's just something broader about Saudi altogether. Who needs to specify? Just you don't. <laughs> Just, we'll work it out at the end. I'm, I'm, prepared, I'm prepared to roll I with that. I would appreciate your help with this. Anyway, um, so what's interesting is that uh, a Saudi lawyer has called for Cristiano Ronaldo to be arrested and deported. And the reason for this, and I'm only just qualifying for uh, Red Card Yellow Card, is as he has, just after he's left the field Ooh, of play, close. and he's on his way to the dressing room, well, he has grabbed himself in the you know uh, genital region right just inadvertently or as a, as a deliberate gesture towards someone or something well therein lies oh the, the lies the rub can i say that Ugh. he has um he, he has been accused of it being a gesture and you know by the looks of the footage perhaps it was but the club al nasir has said no no he suffered an injury when he was playing <laughs> And he was just feeling sore as he left the but he left the field. <laughs> That's a very Riley red card, yellow card nomination, isn't it, John? Gets himself into all sorts of trouble, both yeah. Riley and um, yeah. Cristiano. Yeah, yeah, Ryan. I see. I see your conundrum here, Riles. I mean, the obscene gesture could be what they paid him for turning up that day, but I don't know. Yeah, how you nominate there? Is it, who's the, who's the, the the one doing the accusing? Some lawyer bloke. Some no Saudi one... lawyer bloke. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's not really a sporting person, is he? So let, let's go with Ronaldo. I think. Yeah, um, okay, Ronaldo. Yeah. What, what sort Yellow of goose <laughs> grabs grabs themselves there in the, in a country like that? For goodness' sake, good to hear he's still going around though. Jono, well, hang on. Do we go yellow card for Christian? I could, you can't go red on that. Can yeah, you? yeah, yeah. It's, it's borderline, but I'll give it a yellow. On balance of probabilities, it's yep. yeah. Jono, what have you got? Uh, well, uh, Cristiano is obviously a multiple nominee, and I've he got is. someone else who is a oh. multiple nominee, funnily enough, um, our old friend Mario Balotelli. Oh, right. One of our former pan- panellists, uh, Gilbert, is a mm. big fan of Mario. Mm. So, um, he's still alive. Yeah, wow. and he's... I, I is to, this the bloke, that one of the previous nominations, was he, he was going to someone's place, the coach's place, and the coach got in his car and said, follow me. He just did not know where he was going. Yeah, there was that, and he had a statue, statue? of himself yeah, and right, all right. of that. Didn't he, he said, said fire to his bathroom a few years ago? There's as well. plenty. You're stealing my thunder, but there is plenty. Sorry, John. Do no, go that's on. quite okay. But look, look, Mario is. Where's he playing now? He's playing with that, with that Titan uh, Sion in Switzerland. So I think he's like 38 or 39, but he's still playing. What has piqued my interest this week is that. Uh, he's decided because he's bored of them, he's getting rid of all of his fast cars. So uh, I noticed this article. That he couldn't drive anyway. 
probably couldn't drive anyway. So he's selling off his fleet of supercars, not because he needs the cash, allegedly, not because he's in, in any financial difficulties whatsoever, but he's he just said he's bored of his RSQ8, his mm. 500 Abarth. I don't know what that means, Rochi. Yeah, it's pretty his small. GTR, Nismo, Nissan. Yeah. Um, there's also a photo of a white Bentley. There's, yeah, there's a bunch, a camouflage Porsche. There's All these images, John, can you stick this, your vice president of Insta, can you stick these up on Insta for us? I can do that for you. That'd be great. But yeah, so um, yeah, Mario's uh, just decided that he, he needs to do the right thing by getting rid of them. He is no stranger to controversy, as we know. Uh, he's previously crashed his Bentley in the Manchester city centre, as we know. Right. Then collided with another car whilst driving his Audi A8 in Chester Road, Hume. He crashed his late agent Mino Riola's car after reversing into a lamppost while with while playing with Nice in France. His bad luck on the road continued in 2020 when he was involved in a car accident at 6am on New Year's Day. So, yeah, look, he's got a bit of a history there sure. and I think just a yellow. Right. Good stuff. Just for general form. Just general form, yeah. But at least he's seen the light and realised he needs to get rid of the things that are causing those problems. This the cars. Cool. Okay, interesting one. So a, a pretty soft yellow there. A bit of a light yellow. Light in Mario. Yellow. Yeah. Just for old time's sake more than anything sure. else. Sure, bringing him back. We uh, we may have nominated this one before in an early stage of its gestation, and I've just suddenly realised a few of mine lately been financially related. I need to sort of um, lighten up and find something else for next show. But um, so you might remember a group called Sports Flick, or Sports Flicks, I think it was the little Aussie streaming service that could, or at least pretended it could. Uh, they caused quite a hullabaloo in 2021 when they picked up the rights to broadcast the UEFA Champions League with a sixty million dollar bid. Remember that came out of nowhere. Little organisation no one had heard of, and they landed the UEFA Champions League rights in, in Australia. Now, that deal didn't go through in the end, ostensibly because they couldn't fund it. Uh, they also had a crack at the Rugby League World Cup Australian broadcasting rights. They offered $5 bucks, uh, and for all the world, it looked legit. Well, now some further information has come to light as to why they couldn't fund those deals. They were essentially a house of um, cards, credit cards, I think, yeah, specifically. The millions on the bank account that they used to justify these bids didn't actually exist, court documents have revealed, and the sports flick account didn't contain 42 mil, but in fact $2,500. This was one of many forgeries cooked up by sports flick founder Dylan Azapati to swindle $2 bucks from not just any old punters, but from the backers that joined him on the pretense that they were helping him fund these eventually unsuccessful bids for these sporting rights. Signatures were forged, uh, financial documents were, fo- were faked. Uh, everything that could go wrong uh, absolutely did go wrong. And, of course, as a party, denies the allegations and is fighting the charges. Stay tuned for that one. But we've got to get close to a red for that, I think. Yeah, that's that's straight red. Yeah. I mean, if allegations are proved, of If course, it's bold. Yes. I mean, let's, let's, it, it's very, very bold, right? It's, it's, it is outrageous. It's, but, boy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty outrageous is the right word. All right, they're red for uh, for Dylan as a party and sports flick. Um, nice try, guys. For a moment there, it looked, you know, that was a great story, but um, unfortunately not to be. And so with the conclusion of Red Card, Yellow Card, we come to the conclusion of another episode of For and Against. Thank you for everybody's company listening, and thank you, Stephen Riley, for being part of the show. 
Look, sorry, guys. I've just got to go and uh, use my crypto to get the rights for uh, what the, the World Cup. <laughs> anyway, yes. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Simon. See you guys. Good luck there, Steve. Good luck. Goodbye. Not good luck. Well, good luck and goodbye, Jono. Yeah, Thanks thank for you. being part of the See show. Actually, I'll have my chatbot here in my place next next show. <laughs> um, will you notice the difference? That's the big question. Tune in oh. next time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget to find us on the socials at For and Against on Twitter. For dot and dot against on Insta, where we might have Mario Balotelli's car fleet for sale. Uh, and for until another show in a fortnight's time, it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Bye for now. Oh, 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 oh